Hello and welcome to the latest in our set of podcasts for the Linklater's Diversity Faculty. I'm Simon Kerr Davis, a counsellor in the employment team, and I'm joined here today by some new faces to the Diversity Faculty, my colleagues uh, Irfan Alana, Rochelle Silva and Chloe Halls. And we're here today to talk about intersectionality in the field of diversity, which is an issue which has been coming up increasingly. There's a, an increased focus on intersectionality. But I think we need to start with some definitions. So, Irfan, do you want to give us a working definition of what we mean by intersectionality? Sure. So, intersectionality is the idea that people have more than one identity, and those identities are inherently combined. That means that many forms of discrimination, like classism, ableism, and homophobia, might be present and active at the same time in a person's life. The term intersectionality has its roots in black feminist activism, with legal scholar Kimberly Crenshaw originating the term. Crenshaw felt that anti-racist and feminist movements were both overlooking the unique challenges faced by black women. As the workforce becomes increasingly diverse, an organization's ability to adopt an intersectional approach will ensure that it will remain competitive and retain top talent. And doing so is crucial, with significant evidence that diverse workforces are more innovative, have increased employee engagement, promote better productivity, and ultimately achieve higher revenue. Okay, so we're all a bundle of different characteristics and where those characteristics intersect, people may experience particular issues that, that arise. Chloe, how does the law actually protect people where that intersection is at play between two different protected characteristics? Do you want to tell us a bit about the Equality Act and how it deals with that issue? Yeah, sure. So English law has really kind of traditionally taken a single strand approach to, to intersectionality. So under the Equality Act 2010, which is the, the relevant piece of discrimination legislation, individuals are protected from discrimination, but it's under nine individual protected characteristics. So it means if somebody is discriminated against because of a protected characteristic, they can bring a claim for discrimination in an appropriate court or tribunal. But it would need to be brought in reliance on individual protected characteristics, rather than because of the combined effect of two or indeed more protected characteristics. And it's that that's led to some criticism from people in that it fails to recognize the distinct form of discrimination that can occur when two or more characteristics interact. So take, for example, a, a fairly well-publicized story about uh, Dawn Butler, a black female Labour MP, who went into a, a members-only lift in Westminster and a female MP turned to her and said, this lift isn't really for cleaners. And in that case, her treatment could have been down to the fact that she was black and female. So a black man or a white woman wouldn't have been treated in the same way. And there's another example given in the Notes of the Equality Act. And that's an example of a, a Muslim man not being allowed on a bus on the basis that the bus driver claims that he could be a terrorist. And in that situation, it's the combination of his sex as a man and his religion or belief, which has resulted in him being stereotyped. But there is a law in draft form that aims to protect intersectionality, and that's section 14 of the Equality Act. So it's in draft form. It was never brought into force over a decade ago when the rest of the Equality Act was brought in. 
And under that law, claimants would be allowed to, to bring discrimination claims on two combined grounds. And, and that would be known as combined or dual discrimination. So clearly it would be a good start, albeit it does have a fairly limited scope. So it does only apply to individuals with a, a combination of two protected characteristics. So it does ignore the fact that an individual could be discriminated against because of the intersection of three or, or indeed more characteristics. And they're people who are potentially even more likely to be vulnerable to discrimination at work. And the reason for that is because at the time, the government said there were only a few examples that they'd seen of direct discrimination based on more than two characteristics. So their view was that allowing claims based on two characteristics, the combination of two characteristics, would address most cases of intersectional discrimination. They also thought it would allow the law, make the law too complex to extend the protection even further. Sorry, Chloe, should we, should we just dig into that a little bit? So the idea that it's too complex to legislate for two or more characteristics to interact. How, how do we actually see these claims brought? If you, if you were a black Muslim woman um, who believed you'd been discriminated against on an intersectional basis, how would you actually plead that currently? Yeah, so in that situation, claimants would be required to, to separate these elements out. So separate these elements of their, their personality out, so which can be quite difficult and potentially quite an artificial um, thing to do. So they'd bring a claim on the basis of one protector characteristic or add another protected characteristic in in a separate claim and claim them in the alternative. So the tribunal will then consider them as separate heads of claim, but it might not actually be possible in some cases to demonstrate that less favorable treatment because of one protected characteristic on its own or another protected characteristic on its own. So the claim could in theory fail on all grounds. And either way, that's actually gonna be a very complex claim to argue. Um, I think maybe now we should, we should actually look at some of the cases that have been heard um, where intersectionality has been an issue and see how the tribunals have tackled it, given that legal framework that Chloe's just described. So Rochelle, you've been digging into some of the cases. Do you want to take, take us through some where intersectional claims have actually succeeded? Yes, yeah, so there are a few examples of those types of claims um, in relation to direct discrimination in relation to multiple protected characteristics. So. If we start with O'Reilly and BBC, that was a 2011 claim in which a tribunal considered whether a female TV presenter in her early 50s had suffered direct discrimination on the grounds of age and or sex when she was removed from the BBC's Country File programme. And she was replaced by a younger group of presenters, so both male and female, aged between 26 and 38. And also the other lead presenter, John Craven, remained in place. So he wasn't removed from the programme, but she was. So one of Miss Riley's submissions was that she had been subjected to a joint combination of age and sex discrimination. And the BBC tried to argue that combined discrimination was not unlawful under the current anti-discrimination legislation as Section 14 of the Equality Act. So as we said, which outlaws combined discrimination had not yet come into force. The tribunal took a different view, however, and suggested that an employee directly discriminated against because of a combination of protected characteristics can be protected 
under existing discrimination law without the help of the dual discrimination rules. And that's because the protected characteristic does not need to be the sole or principal reason that an employee suffers detrimental treatment for their claim to succeed. It only needs to be part of the reason. So we see with this case an example of why intersectionality is so important. If Miss O'Reilly had attempted to claim age discrimination or sex discrimination alone, she would probably have been unlikely to succeed on either of those grounds in isolation. So taking that through as an example, if she brought an age discrimination claim, the BBC would have probably pointed out that her counterpart had remained in his position. Or if she'd attempted to bring a claim for sex discrimination, the BBC would have identified that there were female presenters, albeit a bit younger than Miss O'Reilly, that were being brought on as presenters of the programme. So if part of the reason why a person suffers detrimental treatment is because of their age and part of the reason is sex, using the tribunal's reasoning in this case, they would actually be able to succeed in a claim for both age discrimination and sex discrimination. So this is really interesting. So it's the tribunal not quite acting as though Section 14 was already in force, but talking about sort of partial discriminations. It's partly because of this and partly because of that. And we're allowed to take account of both of those. Yes. So I'm not sure there are many examples of tribunals doing this, but this is one isolated example. And obviously, we need to take this with a bit of a pinch of salt because a tribunal decision, as we know, isn't binding on any other courts. There is, however, another example of a case where discrimination on the grounds of multiple protected characteristics was identified, and that was in Khan and Gafour. This is another tribunal case, and they considered whether a British-Pakistani female Muslim employee had been directly discriminated against, again on the grounds of sex um, and then race and or religion. And this is where she was dismissed for not wearing a headscarf at work. So in this case, Miss Khan, uh, she identified with the Muslim religion, but was non-practicing. So she didn't attend the mosque, she didn't pray regularly or cover her hair. And her boss, Mr. Gafour, was a practicing Muslim. So he had said to Miss Khan that she was too westernized and that she had not been brought up as a good Muslim. He'd asked her on a couple occasions whether she would wear a headscarf to work, as it would make him feel better about having a Muslim female working in the office and that he was used to women being covered up up in his presence. Incidentally, there were English women working in his office who he had not made a similar request to, and Miss Khan refused his request for her to wear a headscarf. She was then subsequently dismissed, and Mr. Gafour explained to her that others in the office were uncomfortable about working with her because she didn't wear a headscarf. And he also acknowledged when he dismissed her that she'd not actually done anything wrong at work, and that it was not her fault that she was being dismissed. So the tribunal considered Ms. Khan's various um, grounds of action against her employer. It rejected her claim of direct race discrimination as the correct comparator would have been a Muslim woman, not of the same racial origin as her. And the tribunal found that in this instance, the respondent was likely to have treated that individual comparator in the same way. The tribunal did, however, uphold Ms. Khan's claims of sex discrimination and of religious belief discrimination, as it recognised that both played a part in the decision to dismiss her. In relation to sex discrimination, the reasoning was that Mr. Gafour would not have treated a male employee in the same way. And in relation to religious belief, the tribunal noted that Mr. Gafour did not require his female non-Muslim employees to cover their hair, whereas he'd 
wanted Miss Khan to do so. Um, so this was more so because she'd identified herself with the Muslim faith and her refusal to wear a headscarf was due to her lack of belief that her religion required her to do so. So we can see from these two case examples that there are circumstances where claimants can rely on the discretion of a tribunal to recognize multiple grounds of discrimination based on different protected characteristics at the same time. But ultimately, as I said, these are isolated decisions that are non-binding. And it's also worth noting that there are very limited examples of cases such as these, potentially because claimants may be reluctant to try bringing multiple types of claim. And it may also be that it's not clear from the legal reporting where they've tried to do so and then have pleaded in the alternative and fixed. So if they've won on one, yes. then it won't even appear in the report necessarily that they failed on the other. Yes, so, exactly. Okay. Um, so, so that gives us a nice sort of survey of the statutory provisions, the cases that we've encountered. So that's the state of the law that we're at at the moment. Theoretically, no intersectional protection, but actually the tribunals are straining to get there. And we have uh, section 14 waiting in the wings, will it ever be brought into force? Um, in our next podcast, we'll talk a bit more about the practical things that employers can do to recognize intersectionality and some of the practical issues. Um, but for now, thank you all very much.